Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. America faces a choice. This is Battleground America. Here's Tara Servatius. No, no, no. When will our side ever get this right? The storyline from the real news media. From Fox News to Breitbart. It's flat wrong. It goes like this. Putin invaded Ukraine because Joe Biden is weak. Because Biden projected weakness. That's the ticket. Uh, no. No, that's not what happened at all. Get a new storyline. Pull yourself together, people. Figure out what you're talking about before you go on the air. No, Putin's invasion of Ukraine occurred because of a very specific set of actions, factual actions, that the Biden administration took, that green-lighted it. These actions by the Biden administration conveyed the opposite of weakness. They conveyed strength. See, Biden might be a weak old doddering fool, but the people behind him or not. They ruled the Democrat Party with an iron fist. And they just did something extraordinary. They green-lighted, on purpose, the invasion of Ukraine. Here's how it happened. If you'll recall the heavy coverage of the big troop buildup at the border really began end of December, beginning of January. Why troops start going to the border then? At In huge numbers, bigger numbers than they'd been there. They've, they've always been there. Uh, and the numbers increased when Biden was inaugurated. But it wasn't until December, end of December, beginning of January, you really saw the coverage of the mass movement. Why? It's because of what Biden did in December, which was not an act of weakness, but an act of strength. In fact, it was historical. The first time U.S. president had ever gone down to Congress and personally lobbied on Russia's behalf. I don't know what else you could call it. But Biden did it personally lobbying against sanctions against Russia, including the coveted Nord Stream 2, he flipped 44 Democrat votes against. How do you think that hit Putin? Oh, it was practically marching orders. Take Ukraine. There couldn't have been a clearer message than not just Biden saying no sanctions, but the Democrats showing Putin. Our party stands firmly behind no sanctions. And the troop buildup began. I can't play this audio enough from Ted Cruz. It explains it perfectly. Keep in mind as I play this that Joe Biden has only been down to Congress to lobby three times. Two of them 
were on behalf of his coveted economic plan. The other one, on Putin's behalf. It was unprecedented. Senator Ted Cruz, who sponsored the legislation that would have put the sanctions in place, explains. And I know some of you have heard me play this before, but stick with me. I'm getting through how Biden deliberately greenlighted this. He couldn't have sent a clear message to Putin if he wrote it out and mailed it. This wasn't to screw up. This was deliberate. They wanted an invasion to cover up the economic disaster that's coming. And explicitly, the president of Poland, the prime minister of Poland, the president, uh, uh, the president of Ukraine, the prime minister of Ukraine, the, the president of the Ukrainian parliament all explicitly said, if you want to stop this invasion, sanction Nord Stream 2, Joe Biden came to Capitol Hill and personally lobbied Democratic senators to vote against Russian sanctions. That's why we're facing this invasion. Then Ted Cruz goes into why this is so significant historically. The Ukrainians want, they've been very explicit. They've said two things. They've said, number one, if you want to stop a Russian invasion, they've asked the United States explicitly, put sanctions on Nord Stream 2 right now today. Joe Biden could do that this morning. He refuses to do it. You, you know, I finally, last month, I forced a vote in the United States Senate on sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Every single Democrat in the Senate had voted for my sanctions legislation twice previously. But the difference was last time you had a president with an R behind his name. Now you got a president with a D behind his name. When we voted that same day, they were filibustering to protect Russia and Putin. And 44 Democrats gave in to political pressure from the Biden White House. They voted in favor of Russia against sanctions. Almost immediately, the heaviest part of the troop buildup began. As I said, the troops were on the border before. There's bases there. And they were there in fairly large numbers, starting from when Biden was sworn in. Putin was clearly waiting to invade. But the big troop buildup, where they surpassed 100,000 and kept going rapidly, the one that really signaled the invasion was coming, happened after that vote. Why? Because Putin counted. He counted 44. He knew he had the support of not just Joe Biden, who had expended a tremendous amount of political capital, his political capital, to protect Putin from sanctions, but also had the support of a Democrat party. Step two in the green lighting of the invasion of Ukraine, which Democrats clearly won. I've laid out why all week on the Battleground podcast. Step two in the green lighting was so overt and so obvious, it was actually called by the media green lighting the invasion. As an astonished media asked, did Biden greenlight the invasion? And no, that wasn't just us. That was the mainstream media. That's how over the top this was. When Biden flat out says to Putin, well, you know, if it's a small invasion, we probably won't do anything. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Well, Putin heard that loud and clear. What kind of initial invasion did he do? A very small-scale one. The kind Joe gave him permission to do. It was brilliant, really. He got those two separatist areas to invite him in, and he rolled his tanks in without firing a shot. That, it turned out, was another test. Putin wanted to make sure Biden was serious about letting him invade Ukraine, as long as the buddy images on the TV weren't too bad. So, after rolling in without firing a shot, he waited a little bit. To see what Biden would do. After all, Biden had been talking smack for a couple of weeks about these big bad sanctions he was going to put on Putin. Now, 
Putin didn't really believe it, he'd seen Joe make such a priority of protecting him from sanctions that he personally went down to Congress to lobby against them himself. So Putin didn't expect much, but he wanted to make sure. So he waited. The only person who really understands what happened next, as far as I could tell, is Larry Kudlow. He nailed it. This is his report from yesterday afternoon. At this point, Putin's already rolled some tanks into the separatist areas, but he hasn't done the big invasion because they're waiting to see what Biden will do. The sanctions he levied, the one where he just repeated a sanction for 20, from 2014 on a bank, was hilarious. And then Putin knew. I'll let Larry Kudlow explain on his Fox News business show. Kudlow's talking about the test period here. After Putin's peacefully rolled tanks in without firing a shot in the separatist areas, but before the big invasion last night. Acknowledging that Russia carved out a big chunk of Ukraine, President Biden this afternoon announced a very weak, low-level set of sanctions on Russia. So these were not really the swift and severe consequences that he had been bragging about for so many weeks. The Russian stock market, by the way, rose 6.5% after Biden's announcement. What does that tell you? In the prior several days, it had been collapsing. Now, Biden did follow Germany in not certifying Nord Stream 2, but that's just really a temporary paper contract issue. It's not a long-term or permanent shutdown. He basically hit a couple of banks tied to the Donbass region, which is really not much. The GDP for the whole of Ukraine is about $160 billion, maybe. And the GDP of Donbass is under $6 billion, and the GDP of Lugansk is a billion, also maybe. Delaware's GDP, just to pick a random comparison, is $76 billion. So to call Biden's sanctions small beer is understating it. Remember, if Russia invaded Ukraine, our president was going to impose swift and severe consequences, remember? But he didn't. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Now for the third thing that greenlighted all of this. Pretend you're Putin for a moment. And you see this. The Biden administration kneecaps American oil, forcing the largest ever American purchase of Russian oil from roughly 12,000 barrels a day in 2018 to a shocking 250,000 barrels a day now. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Not at all. The same president who went personally to Congress, I still can't get past this, to lobby against the sanctions and asked nothing in return from Russia. 
The same guy who shut down the Keystone Pipeline here? The same guy who put regulatory pressure on lending institutions not to lend to American oil producers? Do you know what he did? He blocked an Israeli pipeline into Europe that would have competed head-on with Putin's pipeline. Folks, at some point you put all this together and your jaws just hanging open. It would literally take a fact pattern like this to greenlight the largest invasion in Europe since World War II. And Biden handed it to Putin. The one biggest thing we could do to Putin is stop buying his oil. But notice, that's not even on the table for discussion. The second biggest thing we could do to Putin, this is very easy. It's simply this. I've talked to you about the cushion at the top of the oil markets. It's tiny. It's roughly one to two million barrels a day. In other words, if we put that back on the market, then we could take control over prices from OPEC and Russia back. It's the difference between what we were putting on the market to, you know, back in 2018 and today. 13 million barrels a day, which is what we were putting on the market then, versus about 11 what we're putting on the market today. That 2 million barrel cushion a day doesn't seem like a lot, but it's what makes the difference between us controlling oil prices and Putin controlling oil prices. Funny how the decline in American production equals exactly what it would take to put OPEC and Putin back in the driver's seat. Maybe it's a coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidences. To recap, here's Climate Depot's Mark Morano on Fox News explaining how Biden was able to achieve the 2 million barrel per day drop in U.S. production. Almost the exact amount to the barrel needed to put OPEC and Putin back in charge of world oil prices and force the U.S. into the spectacle of having to beg them to lower them by producing more. Again, pretend you're Putin and imagine what you'd think if you saw all this. Here's Murano explaining how the Biden administration was able to take us from energy independence almost overnight to energy dependence and skyrocketing gasoline prices. We were energy independent at the end of 2020. America uh, had, for the first time since Harry Truman was president, had more domestic energy production than consumption, more energy exports than imports. We were tapping American domestic energy, not relying on the foreign sources and thus the endless wars, which we've always had to do in the past. Instead, the first order of the Biden administration was to come in, cancel the Keystone Pipeline, cancel uh, the drilling in the Arctic wildlife, cancel drilling on federal lands, push for methane tax, started defunding uh, financial institutions' ability to fund domestic American energy, which made us what? More dependent on Russia. We now have Russian oil at an 11-year high. The question really is, is Joe Biden's policy to make Russia great again? Or is he a Russian asset? Is Joe Biden a Russian asset? Because if you look at this, all he's done is shut down American domestic energy, make us more dependent on Russia, OPEC, and China. Listen to Larry Kudlow on Fox Business explain how Biden has gotten Putin over the cushion. That difference between 11 million and 13 million. When you take U.S. production from 13 down to 11 It puts OPEC 
and Russia back in the driver's seat to set prices. Mr. Biden, you need to be honest about the damage you're doing to the American energy industry. You've done everything you can to drive up prices, and you know it. Your jihad against fossil fuels has held down production in the face of rising demand. And that has been a key factor in driving up world oil prices towards $100 a barrel. In effect, Biden's jihad against fossil fuel is financing Vladimir Putin's military adventures. Because if we were producing at 13 million barrels a day, as we did pre-pandemic, except for except today's 11 million, oil prices would be substantially lower and Putin would be significantly poorer. And America, not OPEC, and Russia would be in the driver's seat as far as being able to turn the spigot on and off and control world prices. It's almost as if Putin bought off the Biden family. I mean, did he? In a normal functional country, like, you know, if Trump were running run, the media would be asking, if Don Trump Jr. got $3 million from a Russian oligarch that was flagged by the Treasury Department as a potential money laundering transaction, Hunter got that, by the way, every day of this, Trump would be scrutinized, especially when he went down to Congress to lobby on Putin's behalf to drop sanctions. We've never seen a Democrat president do that, not even Obama. He backed in order to sanctions. And people would ask, as they should, is that family paid off? Because it sure looks like it. Then we learn, as I've pointed out to you multiple times, from the FBI's investigation into Devin Archer, who is Hunter Biden's business partner, that Bartarina didn't just send the $3 million to Hunter. She spent $200 million with Rosemont Seneca. That's her total investment, $200 million dollars can you imagine if a trump kid had a fund like that with russian oligarchs pouring money in and then they violated 20 years of previous precedent and lobbied congress not to sanction the one pipeline that's most important to russia come on we all know how it looks but nobody asked these questions with biden so why do all this for fun for biden family profit Perhaps, but it also benefits the Democrats, as I explained on yesterday's podcast, because they can blame all the economic problems they caused on Putin. But is that going to be enough? Maybe not. If you notice, there's a third headline they're rotating in with the rest. They're reporting as if it is fact that a cyber attack on our economy that's widespread from Russia is coming, even though in these reports they concede that our intel agencies and Department of Homeland Security don't have a single shred of evidence of that. That scares the heck out of me. Why? Because I still remember Candace Owens' warning from last fall about what the World Economic Forum is running drills on right now. It sounds an awful lot like the cyber attack the media is repeating in lockstep is somehow coming. Here's Candace's warning from last fall. Nothing has changed since then. It's a serious question. It's one that you should consider, which is what would you do if they brought the power grid down? And by they, I mean if the government purposefully brought the power grid down. And I'm not asking that question for fun. I'm asking that question because the World Economic Forum um, is predicting that a cyber pandemic, you can look this up, they've been running exercises about it this year, um, is inevitable. 
you're probably saying, what is a cyber pandemic? It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, what are, what are we even talking about? Well, first of all, the reason I'm even paying attention to the World Economic Forum and their exercises is because they notoriously, in 2019, ran an exercise for a coronavirus pandemic that oddly all became true. I mean, without one slight difference, they said that uh, the coronavirus was going to escape from a wet market in South America. Of course, when the coronavirus uh, swept the nation, uh, swept the world in 2020, they said that it escaped from a wet market in China. You can still look that up, by the way. That's not a conspiracy theory. Um, that uh, they simulated that coronavirus pandemic. It was the World Economic Forum in collaboration with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in collaboration with John Hopkins University. And um, the website is still up and they say, you know, a, a coronavirus pandemic is inevitable. And then boom, it happened the very next year. So uh, people say it's a conspiracy theory to believe that they knew that the coronavirus pandemic was going to happen. You don't have to believe it was a conspiracy theory or you can believe it wasn't a conspiracy theory. It's up to you. I don't really care. The point is, is that they made the prediction, they called it inevitable, and then it happened immediately. So for me personally, that signals to me that I should probably pay attention the next time the World Economic Forum makes a prediction and calls it inevitable. And lo and behold, they are predicting that a coronavirus pandemic, uh, a cyber pandemic, pardon, is going to happen and that it is once again inevitable. So if you look into the exercise that they have run this year, I believe they run it in July. Um, they've been meeting and talking about the cyber pandemic, what it would look like essentially, uh, their idea is that they're going to have to sanitize the internet uh, because a bug, think of this as like a coronavirus for your computer, um, is going to sweep globally. And the only way they're going to be able to stop this bug from infecting everything is to effectively shut down the internet, right? And they were talking about bringing down the power grid in an effort to do this. So imagine the government bringing down the power grid and you would not have access to anything um, that required an electrical charge. This, If this sounds crazy dystopian and like a nightmare to you, um, first, off, first and foremost, this happens in other countries, right? Obviously in Cuba, when the government needs to stop people from communicating, they just bring down the power grid, right? Um, when the uprisings were happening in Cuba, I believe that was earlier this year, coronavirus time feels like, I don't know if it was the end of last year or early this year, they just brought down the entire electrical grid. Um, but of course, Western nations would never do something like that. If they do it, it's because they need to do it, not because they're becoming evil communist dictators, but because they would need to do it for our benefit. So they were talking about the government breaking down, bringing down the power grid. And until they come up with a vaccine, I'm not kidding, this is their words, not, not mine, a vaccine of sorts for the internet, where they would be able to cleanse it and purge it of all of these things that are making it vulnerable. Among those things, they brought up Bitcoin, which is so funny. That one thing that the government can't get a handle on um, that is representing a threat to them and, and the financial markets, their control of the financial markets would be Bitcoin. And suddenly in running the simulation, they realized that Bitcoin you know, could potentially be a problem. If you think I'm kidding, you can look this up. It is called a cyber pandemic. And it's something that every single person should be paying attention to just in case they magically get it right again like they did about the coronavirus pandemic. It's good for us as citizens to pay attention to that and to do what we can. to. Again, folks, not predicting anything here and don't want to alarm you. I don't know what's coming next, but I know this. The Democrats are going to need a major distraction to have a prayer of keeping their power. Some sort of excuse that would allow massive flooding of ballots that are unscrutinized into the ballot box you know the deal a repeat of 2020 this just sounds like a really good way to do it again no predictions here 
Just connecting dots, just in case. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy it, please share it with like-minded friends and family everywhere. You can do that by downloading the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and hitting subscribe. with Terra Servatius. Please subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Share with friends, family, and other free thinkers. Thanks for listening. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.